Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Can anybody guess what verses rhymes with 2 and 3 that we're going to read today? That's right. 2 and 3. You guys are happening this morning. Uh, James, uh, once again, we're taking a little bit of detour. I am itching to get to verse 4, in case you're wondering. Uh, but I wanted to take a little detour and really explore this, because this is really, I think, uh, Christianity as Christians, uh, this is the, where the rubber meets the road, is it not? Suffering, why do we encounter trials? What is God doing? Because how we react to difficulties, hello, even as a Christian, will make or break us as a Christian. And I think a part of the context here is it'll make or break our witness as Christians for Jesus Christ. And we need to have those joyful attitudes, even in the midst of the suffering, so that we could be those positive commercials for Jesus, as well as so that we can experience that supernatural joy in the midst of the storm, amen? All right, sold enough time. Verse two and uh, three says this, consider it what? Pure joy, woo, my brothers, when everything goes your way, because we know, oh, uh, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance, perseverance uh, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, uh, as we've been seeing for quite some time. And what we've been seeing so far is the book of James, okay, or Jacob, Yaakimbos, is the first New Testament book written for the early church. As the early church finally did what Jesus said you're going to do, don't just stick around in Jerusalem, you need to get out there in the world. And so uh, uh, it, the timing is impeccable because Satan is evil and he's got an evil plan. As the church is finally going out there being a witness for Jesus, the church is already, we see in the letters of the New Testament, being flooded with fake Christians, false teachers, phony believers. And the last thing that God would want when his church finally gets out there and is a witness to the world is to have fake Christians represent true Christianity, which means they're not going to get a true representation of Christianity. It's going to be a fake Jesus, a false Jesus, and a false gospel. So James writes this letter, and he starts, that's what this whole book is about we've been seeing. We start this, uh-oh, we're in the book of James, for those of you who don't bad French, that's cool, Yakubas, uh, and we saw the first uh, acid test that he's going to run the church through to demonstrate their true Christianity is your trials. How do you hold up in your trials? Do you have joy in the midst of your trials? I didn't say perfect joy because it's a learning process, is it not? But by and large, what sh we should see as a pattern as a Christian, because we start out as babies and we mature as adults. Ladies, how many of you are so glad and thankful to God that when you give birth to a child, that that child does not come out as a fully grown adult? <laughs> well, the Bible uses the same language with us. When we get born, we're babies. And babies need to be taught. They need to grow. Sometimes it makes stinkies and messes, and somebody needs to care for them and nurture them and help them and feed them and right. And so as Christians, uh, you know, depending on a maturity level, I think that that's the joy factor is going to be there. As we grow more older in the Lord, I think that joy in the midst is going to be more evident. Uh, I would say, if anything, the response time to how we react to our trials, the closer we get to Jesus, the quicker it is we're going to go back to the joy. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, listen, be constantly rejoicing is literally what the Greek says. And so we've been exploring the question, well, how do you do that? 
I mean, how do you become that mature Christian? And, and not just in the good times, but even in the challenging times, the trials, the fiery trials, the sufferings, how can we have that constant joy? Okay, well, he gives us some key things. The first thing, of course, was it's going to come in many different forms. Anybody remember the Greek word? It's that dipping sauce. Poikilos is what it sounds. Okay, that's what it is. Uh, that's right, you're catching on. It's poikilos. And what we saw is, listen, just as God says we're going to have poikilos, many different kinds of trials, he's got many different reasons why these come, and that's what we've been looking at. And he says if you're going to maintain that joy, you need to do a couple different things, okay? First of all, you need to consider, right? You guys remember what that meant? You need to think forward, okay, is what he was talking about there. And the other thing is you need to know, which was the Greek word gnosko, and it's just not a casual knowing. It's a knowing with an experiential knowledge. You know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. What? You put all that together. Here's how I believe that the Bible is telling us how we can be those mature Christians. And yes, this really can happen. We really can pull this off to not just be joyful once in a while, not to be joyful just when everything's going great, but to be constantly rejoicing even in the midst of trial after trial after trial. How? It's when we do this. We realize that God's got many different trials and he's got many different great reasons for them. And when we think forward to the good reason and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it, it has to be something wonderful in this package. You can be joyful, right? And that's what we saw is what we've been taking a little detour on. He says the first one there, okay, was the issue of perseverance, okay, was the first one. Then we saw it's also to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to other people, to teach us, hello, God is God and we are not. Uh, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble, to make us more joyful, to make us more loving, and to produce a powerful testimony. Let's say that. You got to put oh on the end of it. Testimony. Doesn't this sound evangelistic? Uh? The Bible? Uh? Okay, you're catching on. All right. The next reason is not just a powerful testimony. Okay, what are we up to? Number, number 12. Uh, powerful testimony uh, uh, is to produce a powerful character. Turn to somebody and say, man, you're a character. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's cool, man. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 again. We were here a little bit last week, but let's focus on this first part this time. Last time we were taking a look at uh, who we were uh, before we got saved. We were God's enemies. We were sinners. We were ungodly. Remember that? And that he loved us, and so we're supposed to love other people, the ungodly, the sinners, even the people who act like our enemies, okay? But let's take a look at the first part. He's talking about difficulties and why God allows them. Another great, awesome reason. Romans chapter 5, okay? Let's take a look there and um, read the first few verses. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have what? He, isn't it awesome to know that you are absolutely at total peace with God, right? That we are no longer, as Paul says, under the wrath of God. You understand what the wrath of God is? We talked about this on Wednesday nights. Uh, it, it, it's the Greek word orge. Okay, and it, it literally means just like, it's just the, God's wrath is the time when he literally says, I've had it, and Wah! it's like a, 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 a violent emotion, not in a sinful sense, because God is holy, but it's just this, ah, and he pours out his wrath. The Bible says we were under his wrath before we got saved, storing up wrath, continuing to sin. Anybody glad that you're not under that anymore? And now instead of, Wah! you're at peace with God. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that, that'll preach. Uh, and he says, you're at peace with God through who? How does that happen? Through Jesus Christ is what he says there. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but hey, we got peace with God. We're headed to heaven. We rejoice. Yeah, isn't that great? He says, not only that, that you're happy about that. He says, listen to this. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our what? Oh, come on. Why do you have to put that? He messed that great verse up. He had a great thing going, Paul, and he just hosed it up. And he put, no, does anybody starting to see a pattern throughout the letters of the New Testament? God does something wonderful in all things. That's why he says in all things he works together for good, not just some things, not just the great things, even the suffering. He says we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Well, here's something to, what's, what's James say? Here's something to think forward about. Here's something to know experientially beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here's something fantastic because we know that suffering produces, here's our word, the first reason that James gave, what? Perseverance, the ability to bear up under over an extended period of time, right? Because sometimes your trials last a long time. And then perseverance, listen, once you get perseverance, it starts to unlock, it starts to uh, uh, increase and bless you even more. It's just like the present, you open up, and there's something awesome, but inside that present is another box, and you open it up, and it's like, hey, got another one, and then inside that one, hey, there's another one. And that's what we're going to see. Inside this one thing, 
comes three blessings. The first one's perseverance, and you open that gift up, woohoo, perseverance, what? What's it develop? Your character. And once you get a strong character in God, what's that give you? Hope, okay? And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, okay? And this is what we see here that Paul says one of the biggest things, again, agreeing with many other letters in the New Testament, certainly the context of James here, he says one of the things that should cause us to give awesome, great joy is not just reminding ourselves of the hope to come that we're going to heaven, but it's when we encounter what? Sufferings, right? Woohoo! Yeah, bring it on. Okay? And he says because he's convinced, okay, uh, that this is something fantastic, okay? Now, here's the problem. That's what the scripture says. That's what we're encouraged to think upon and think forward to. But what's our society say? Does our society see any good in, in any value in suffering or pain? No. In fact, if you pay attention to our society, they try to get us to react the opposite, the exact opposite. And they don't say, plow through this baby and think forward to the good thing and smile for Jesus. Right? They say what you need to do instead is you need to pamper yourself. And the reason why you pamper yourself is to get rid of any and all kinds of pain. Right? I mean, I'm not against this, but we're so conditioned that all pain is bad that even if we get a headache, what do you do? Don't figure out what gave you the headache in the first place and fix that long-term. Hey, just give me an aspirin quick and get rid of it. Maybe it's because you're low on water or something that's producing a headache and your body's trying to tell you something else. Or I'm, not here. I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. Okay, but I'm just telling you by way of analogy, okay? Uh, we're conditioned that as soon as pain comes, get rid of it, the good's bad. Really? We talked about this on Wednesday nights. Really, is, a, is how many guys are glad that when you accidentally put your hand on a hot stove, your body goes, right? Are you glad for that reaction to that pain, right? Exactly. All pain isn't bad, okay? Uh, the Bible talks about uh, discipline. How many guys love getting spanked by your parents? Oh, yeah, wasn't that awesome? Are you serious? I was just kidding. Praise God. We'll pray for you later. Okay, <laughs> or maybe now. I'm really concerned. No, no. <laughs> and you, how many guys love getting spanked by God? Hebrews 12, he, he disciplines those whom he loves, right? But he says, listen, but we can even rejoice in that because number one, if you're never disciplined by God, it's a sign you don't belong to God because he loves his kids. And just like in natural parenting, if you get out of line, God will get you spanking on the right track. We don't, it says in that text there, uh, we don't like the spankings, but they produce righteousness. It's a good thing, right? So all pain isn't bad, but society says it is. It sees no value in uh, our difficulties. And this is the goal of the average person today is to uh, tiptoe through life and get as much cushion around you as possible uh, just so you can arrive at death safely. Okay, but that's an illusion, okay? The Bible says we need our difficulties because God uses those difficulties, okay? He doesn't want us to live a constantly cushioned life because if you live a pampered, cushioned life, first of all, that's an illusion. Anybody notice that? As much as you try to put parameters up to avoid suffering, it's still gonna get you, Okay? Not saying you don't learn from your mistakes and make wise decisions, okay? And, and, and don't, don't keep going in the same ditch every time, but you're not going to uh, uh, escape pain this side of heaven, okay? But the, our world says that if you can get that cushion life, then that's going to give you a great life. The Bible says just the opposite. If you have nothing but a cushion life, you're going to end up being a weak and ineffective Christian. Because this is what the scripture says, we says in Romans 5, that God uses our difficulties to shape us. He gives us that ability to have that character that I don't care how long this trial lasts. I don't care how, I'm not giving up. I'm bearing up under it, perseverance. And then when you continue to do that and persevere, he all of a sudden, something else starts to kick inside of you. And that's called, you get a strong character. And a strong character is what we need to make it uh, through trials. Have you noticed that? Not a weak character, not somebody that gives up at the slightest uh, tear or problem or challenge, but somebody that's, I'm not going to give up. I don't care what you do to me. That has to be developed just like perseverance. But that comes after you've learned to persevere, according to Romans chapter 5. Now, uh, uh, this is the, uh, one of the reasons why I admire so many people uh, in my family, okay, uh, and it's not just a Kansas thing, but uh, it could be a little bit from how we had to grow up, because my family had to go through so much baloney, uh, and still does, believe it or not, shocker, uh, that, but what I've noticed is it's created a heritage for me of people with a strong character. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, I shared again two of those pillars in my family, and those were my grandmothers. 
And uh, I admire them uh, because of their strong character, because they had such an easy life. It was so pampered. It just, it was so awesome. They never went through any trial and everything was always taken care of. No, of course not. It's because they went through many trials. Let me give you a couple of those examples, okay? Uh, Once again, on Wednesday night, I shared how uh, my one grandmother, uh, who, uh, my mom's mom, uh, she gave birth to uh, one of her children all by herself, out in literally the middle of nowhere, okay, uh, was what was going on there. Uh, her mom went to town to go get the doctor, but uh, in the wagon or whatever, and, uh, but didn't make it back in time, so she had to give birth to my aunt uh, all, all by herself. Uh, uh, com- the whole birthing process, had to cut the cord herself, had to clean herself up, had to clean the baby up, and she got the baby all uh, waddled up there, and then she quickly got into the kitchen to hurry up and get food ready in time for the men before they got home, and she did it. How'd you like to have that day, right? Another time I told you that uh, my grandmother, not only once but twice in her lifetime, uh, her house burnt down uh, twice with everything in the house, twice in one life, Every, all they were left with was just the shirt off their backs, literally, twice. Okay, that happened to them. Another one, the funniest one, was uh, during the Depression, my grandma said that uh, they lost, uh, their, her family lost everything, and they needed a place to live, and the family was already built up, but they had this cook shack that they could stay in. The family, with the kids, a cook shack. If you don't know what a cook shack is, a cook shack is those chuck wagons, those old, that they would, the guy would haul out there with the horses, the wagon, uh, that he'd cook the uh, meals for the guys. That was their house. They lived, her, her family with the kids lived in a cook shack. In that, that was her house. And I'm not kidding you, it's the funniest thing. And she says it, uh, said it with a straight face. And I'd ask her, <laughs> I'd say, Grandma, how long, are you serious? You guys lived in a cook shack? She said, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I said, how long did you live in that? Without batting eyes, she goes, oh, until the tornado blew it away. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Right? And, and, and both of my grandma, well, the other grandmother, i tell you the story, is uh, in the Midwest in Kansas living out in the middle of nowhere, farming. And farming is usually not a you know, get-rich-quick scheme. That's hard work, and uh, especially in the winters back there. Uh, and the daily routine was what they do is they'd walk across the gravel road over here where they had the barn on the other side of the gravel road. And my dad, she's about five, she's, he said, I remember her, what she'd do is, is we're walking over there to the barn to go milk the cows. She'd be looking for a good, a good fist-sized rock. And she'd find it, she'd grab it. And so he said, I'd be watching her, and she'd be milking the cow with one hand, and as soon as a rabbit came close enough, she'd throw the rock and hit in the head, and that's what they'd have for food that night. Can you imagine that? He says, man, she had a good arm on her. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she didn't play baseball or something. But that, that, that wasn't that long ago. That was my grandmother's. And I admire them because, man, I used to, you ever want to get set straight? Go talk to those kind of people, right? Oh, man, I can't believe it. I, I, was, I was at Carl's Jr., and the, the kids were in the back seat. They were, they were being impatient, and... Man, we were in line for 15 minutes before we got our food. I thought I was going to die. I, if you said that to them, they'd slap you ugly. They'd slap you big time. They'd slap, they'd slap you hard. They'd slap you. just like, what? And that's what she would do. If you ever needed an attitude check, you thought you had it bad, go talk to Grandma. Right? <laughs> Are you kidding, Carl's Jr.? I wish I had a Carl's Jr. when I was growing up. Right? You said, I don't care if I had to wait 15 hours. It gives, it's better than living in the cook shack until the tornado blew it away. Right? They would always set you straight because they, they had that and they had that sense of humor. And, and then now they still had trials, but guess what? Nothing could move them. They had this strong character. They'd been through the fire. That was produced. They learned to persevere. Don't give a, a second house just burn with the shirt of them. Keep moving forward. You just, retreat's not an option. You just keep moving forward. That produces a character. How many guys would like to have that character? That's what the Bible says. And now where does it come from? How do we get that? We buy it at Walmart? How about Target? No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, uh, that even rhymes, but I'll move on, Mickey. Uh, uh, no, it comes through suffering. You learn that, okay? Now, my dad is also another one. And my dad, I admire him uh, greatly because uh, it, you know, he was born with this silver spoon in his mouth. No, he was born with a shovel in his hand. <laughs> my dad at the age of seven. Seven. Pick a seven-year-old. Billy's nine. How old's your son, Joe? Seven. Seven. This is what Joe's having his son do. Doing heavy concrete work. Pouring concrete. Hauling it in a wheelbarrow as a seven-year-old. Doing, and not just hauling it, but learning the trade and stuff. At seven years old, that's what my dad's dad had him doing. My dad says that uh, not only was it heavy construction, but he had to work every single day after school. He had to work every single weekend. He had to work every summer, and a holiday was just another work day. That's how my dad learned 
growing up from time of seven, that's what you do. You do your school, but you get out there and you get to work, okay? And uh, he transferred that on to me and my brother, probably more to my brother than me, but uh, I think I caught some of the sprinkling, so. But uh, anyway, later he married my mom, okay? And it's kind of a funny story how they met. Uh, hopefully this didn't happen with you guys. Uh, they, uh, they were uh, neighbors, right, across the street. And she, they lived right across the street, my mom did. And my dad's, you know, kind of eyeballing my mom, apparently. And uh, I'm not recommending this. We're in the marriage study, and we talk about romance. This probably isn't the best way to do it. But uh, my dad uh, used to fight cats and dogs with my mom's uh, sister, okay? Did not get along at all, right? And uh, so they were always fighting across the street, right? My dad picked up a rock, threw it at my mom's sister, my aunt, and, and beamed her in the head and knocked her out, right? So he runs over there to, you know, oh, no, I'm in big trouble now. Well, he finally made it across the street, and guess who we met? Officially, my mom, the rest of his history. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> so if you love him, you beat him in the head with a rock. And I'm not, uh, maybe he got that from his grandmother. I just dawned on me. With the rock. I kid you not. What a revelation. My family's complete. Let's close in prayer. No. Uh, anyway, so he met my mom, and they moved uh, back to, uh, they moved to Kansas again. We always went to, it seemed to California, Kansas, California, Kansas. I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, so this, I was a baby at the time, and my dad decided to work with his dad doing construction, terracing, uh, and farming at the same time. Well, they had two bad winters in a row, Dad told me, because I said, well, why did you move back to California when I was a baby? Why didn't you stay in Kansas? He said, because literally, he, was, he says, because we got tired of starving to death, okay, is what he says. What? Are you serious? He says, yeah. And uh, apparently, they had two bad winters in a row, back to back, and uh, uh, he, there was no credit. Uh, nobody gave him credit back in the days. If you're farming, you worked on credit. And uh, so he literally, to survive that last winter, uh, to keep the meat coming on the table, my dad uh, shot rabbits, and uh, uh, he got Milo out of the field. If you're not familiar with Milo, it's cattle feed. Okay, it's animal feed is what it is. Uh, to this day, Dad says, I can't even stand the smell of it because my mom would try to do the best that she could to uh, uh, boil it up like a mash or something or just do anything that just stinks. But, but you got to have something besides meat in your gut. Now, it got so bad that about halfway through the winter, Dad says that wasn't all. He's about halfway through the winter, uh, we ran out, he ran out of bullets. So now he can't shoot the rabbits to keep the meat coming. So he built box traps, okay, to trap the rabbits uh, just to survive through that winter. That was just my dad, not that long ago, okay? And uh, what's the big thing that we cry out? <laughs> that person in front of me at Walmart or Target. They were paying a penny. I can't believe it. My life is over. Kid me. Praise God for those pennies. You know what I'm saying? Sure beats trying to trap your next meal for you and your kids. Okay? And, and here's my point in bringing that up. Why do I admire several people in my family? Because they came from Kansas. Well, hey, okay, I understand that loyalty aspect there. But no, it's because, guess what? They, ha they have strong characters today. You know why they have strong characters today? You know why? I mean, because it's like, you think you got it bad? Go get an attitude adjustment. And not only that, you're encouraged by their example because, man, I, it, they're like, it's like, what, what they call Ronald Reagan, the Teflon president? Nothing would stick on that guy, right? Remember that issue? Well, this is like, these guys, it, it, it's not a, 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 a presidential thing or political thing. It's like nothing that life throws these people can stop them. They keep moving forward. They will not quit. They won't retreat. They won't back down. Why? Because they have a strong character today. Why? Because they had tons of troubles yesterday. That's what Paul says. Wouldn't you like to have that character? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, how does it come? When all of a sudden, you wake up that day and it's full of trials. <laughs> I'm on the path to get that character. Yeah, thank you, God. Now do you understand why he says here, he's repeating James 1, why Paul says in Romans 5, 5 we don't just rejoice in the fact that we're going to heaven. But before we get to heaven, God is going to allow some trials to come to give us this kind of character so that before we get to heaven, whoa, we're moving forward with confidence and joy in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? No wonder he says, uh, rejoice in that, okay? But listen, not only my family uh, was blessed with developing a strong character over the years, uh, so was this guy. See if you can guess who it was. Um, when he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, uh, and he had to work to help support them. At age nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. Uh, he wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. 
At 26, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and with this track record, guess what she said? No. Okay. At 37, on his uh, uh, third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he was, uh, failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as the vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost. At 51, though, he was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln. And many people consider was a great leader of our country. And I like what the person says, chief, some people get all the breaks. <laughs> what? God, why is this happening? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this turmoil? I don't understand. Why am I going through this? Why? Are you kidding me? He's blessing your socks off. And just like with my family, just like with, he, he's using these challenges to make you into a strong, mighty Christian with a strong, mighty character. He's teaching us a powerful lesson. Listen, a pampered life, and that's what the world says we all should be running towards. But God is trying to teach us, Christian, the truth. That a pampered life leads to a lazy life. And a lazy life leads to a weak life. Why? Because you never had to build character. You tried to tiptoe through life, avoiding all the problems and all the pain. And you never got to develop that character. And then we look around in our country when that becomes the mandate. It's all about pampering yourself, pampering yourself, pampering yourself. Right? And we wonder why our country's in the shape it's in. We wonder why our society's in the way it's in. Where are, you know, how many times have you guys ever gone that? Where's the John Waynes, man? Right? Where's these strong, tough dudes? Just what, where, where's these men and women of character? Right? Who, who will do the right thing in the face of adversity and continue to move. Where are these people? Where are the Patrick Henrys of old? Give me liberty or give me death. Here's what we got today. Give me hot french fries or I'm going to tell the manager. <laughs> that's what we've been reduced to adversity the scripture says is awesome and it's an awesome gift from god because god's going to use that adversity to make you into the patrick henry the john wayne or john wayne s whatever uh as the ladies uh he's going to make you into that strong mighty christian that no matter what life throws at you you're coming out on top man isn't that awesome and what's james say he says, listen, this is how you constantly rejoice. When, when you think of that, you consider this. And, 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 and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Gnosko, that just as I got many different trials coming my way, there's many different great reasons. I'm looking forward to that reason. And maybe it's this one. Maybe God's allowing this right now, what I'm going through, to develop my character. Yeah. So I can be that person who never quits for Jesus. Isn't that something we pray for? Absolutely. Let's take a look at another one. That brings us joy. And this one, I think, is pretty obvious uh, sometimes. Number 13. And that is to get us into a new direction. A new direction. Open your Bibles to Acts 16. Acts 16. All right. Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, it actually states. Acts 16, and we're going to talk about Paul's doing something awesome, man. He's going on a missionary journey. He's sharing the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, aren't you guys glad that that's just an option? That, that's just for those people who have a, a gift of evangelism. And yes, I'm heavy-duty sarcasm. Uh, no, that's for everybody. We're all called uh, to share the gospel, okay? Matthew 28, all uh, going to all the world. Uh, Acts chapter 16, let's take a look at uh, verse 6. Paul, he, this is where he gets that vision of the man from Macedonia. But listen, before he got to the ultimate destination, look what happened in the meantime. All right, let's take a look there. Uh, verse six, it says this. Uh, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been what? Remember, they're going on a missionary journey. They're doing something good. They're out there because we want to, we're sacrificing these lives, our time, our treasure, our time. We're sacrificing to share the gospel is what he says here, right? Okay, and, 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 but all of a sudden, what happened? having been kept by the holy, who's that? That's God, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Wait a second, I thought preaching the word's a good thing. Well, did you realize that man makes his plans, but God orders his steps? 
Do you realize that we got things made up in our mind, how things should go, even Christian things, but God says, but I got something better for you? I got, I got a, a new direction for you? Okay? Did you realize that Isaiah says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways? Then guess what? That means sometimes your plans, my plans, aren't going to meet up with his plans. That's what that means. And so we shouldn't be shocked. And so Paul's doing a great thing. I can't, I, I'm, I'm belaboring that, but he's doing an awesome thing. But God says, hmm, not quite there. I, got, I, I want you in a different direction. Now, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but whoa, round two. Now what happened? The spirit of Jesus, who's us, God, uh, Holy Spirit, would not allow them to. Whoa. So at least they didn't quit. They said, oh, God, it was the devil. He stopped us, and I quit. I'm not going to serve God anymore because I tried. And it's one thing, and I couldn't. It wouldn't work, and it didn't happen, so I quit. Well, at least they went to, all right, well, apparently we need to go in this direction. How many times would we be tempted after the second time of getting to know? We'd say, well, I guess that's, we better go do something else. No, he didn't quit. But, but I, again, notice the process he had to go through to do something good, do something we should do. He says this, the next one. He says, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now, here's where it started to come into place. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to where? Macedonia and help us. So after Paul had seen the vision, and do you think that maybe possibly he was taking into account the first two rejections? Okay, so God didn't want us to go here, and then he didn't want us to go here, but not by chance. Last night, I had this vision of some guy saying, come over here. Paul probably got it, okay, and he did. And he says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that what? God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice he didn't quit. He didn't say, well, you know, this is all from the devil, and it's all nothing but spiritual warfare. No. And notice that Paul didn't whine and complain all the time, Okay. Paul realized this was the hand of God using challenges to get him steered where God wanted him to go. Even in the midst of doing something good, like he's supposed to do, okay? Now, here's the kicker. Did you realize that God only does that with the Apostle Paul? Yes. Once again, that's not true, right? He does it with us today. Have you noticed that? Has anybody ever been steered by the hand of God? Well, guess what? For those of you who didn't raise your hands, which would be everybody, uh, he does it anyway. <laughs> okay, he does. Who do you think is guiding these lives? And that's a huge comfort to me. Outside of eternal security, God's sovereign hand, his providential hand is a wonderful comfort to me because in uh, submitting our will to his will, listen, if anybody wants you to know his will, who do you think it is? It's God, right? And knowing that God is the one who's ordering your steps, that's a comfort to me because you're still gonna face challenges. Uh, did, did Paul face any challenges when he finally got, God led him in the right direction? Yeah, keep reading the book of Acts. Uh, yeah. Okay, but there's something about knowing you are doing exactly what God called you to do. There's a comfort in that. There's a peace in that. There's an assuredness in that. That I didn't put myself here. This was the hand of God that steered me here. So guess what? I don't care how bad it gets. I'm not quitting. I'm moving forward because if he called me here, he's going to provide. He's the one with the plan, right? And that's, that's what uh, we see here. So, but he does it to you and I today. But here's the problem. We all say... Oh, that wonderful prayer from our Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, not my will be done, but thine. And every day when we get out of bed, that is our attitude with everything that comes our way. Let's close in prayer with apparently the Mr. Rogers voice this morning. That's a new one. Okay, but uh, <laughs> what? See, that's our problem, isn't it? Oh, we'd love to quote that verse. Oh, of course, as Christians, mighty, strong, knowing, wise Christians, it is God's will to be done, not mine. <laughs> but when something comes our way and we don't like it, when his plans don't meet up with our plans, what do we do? We rebel. We fight. We, we blame. Well, it's their fault. It's the devil. It's this. It's that. You ever realize it might be the hand of God saying, yeah, that's a good thing, but listen, I got something else for you. Just submit, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And that's what we see there. And, and so God allows a challenge to come so we can learn fast, Christian. We can either follow our own plan and resist the hand of God and experience pain and hardship, or you could just submit to it, knowing like Paul, okay, uh, three times, uh, took me three times, but I finally got it. And, and you trust God that he has a fruitful plan. And this is what I see as Paul's decision he had to make. What was his response? Did Paul, in that text, did he freak out? 
Ah, life is over. I can't take it anymore. I tried to go over into Asia, but I couldn't do it. Did he whine and moan and cry? Oh, no, I tried this, but then it didn't work, and I can't take it no more, and there's pressure. So. He didn't do that, okay? And again, I, I'll say this again, because I often wonder this. How many things do we blame on Satan that is actually from the hand of God? You ever think about that? I wish the devil was this. And he I think we give Satan way much more credit and power than he is due. Now, don't go the other end of the spectrum and be like 60, what, 65% of the professing church today doesn't even believe in a literal Satan. That's insane. Don't be like that. But don't go on the other end of the spectrum and act like he's, uh, 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 that everything's all on him. Maybe God's giving you spanking. Maybe it's some of these other reasons we talked about. But maybe, listen, the reason why you're facing resistance is because you, it, it seems right, it sounds right, but God says, mm, not quite what I want for you. Go here. And he'll use a challenge to get you going in that direction. That's what we see with Paul. Listen, this is a pretty obvious one, okay? We, we have to trust that God, listen, is good. Did you realize that? His character is good. He's holy, obviously, right? He's love, but God is good. The scripture is very clear over and over. Do, do, bless your socks off. Do a study on the goodness of God. He is good. He is good. He is good. His love endures forever. He is good. He, so if God is good and he is, that means everything he does has to be good. Now you throw that in with Romans 8.28. Therefore, that makes sense then. That all things work together for good. Why? Because God is good. And then when we have the audacity Christian to say that God is doing something that's not good, we're attacking his character. Did you get that? That's a serious charge. God is holy. He is without sin. He is good. And as your children, we just need to uh, submit to him, trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's got a good reason for this. Even steering us into a new direction. Even interrupting our plans with his plan. It's, listen, it's better than our plan. You get that? His plan is better than our plan. Wallace Johnson, true story, he learned that. Uh, uh, he's the, if you're not familiar with him, he's the guy that was the guy who built all the Holiday Inns, Wallace Johnson. He built a bunch of convalescent hospitals too. He said this, he tells a story, true story. He says, when I was 40 years old, I worked in a sawmill, okay? And one morning the boss told me, you're fired. 40 years old. He said, I was depressed and I was discouraged and I felt like the world caved in on me. It was during the depression and I got fired, 40 years old. And my wife and I greatly needed the small wages that I had been earning. So I, <laughs> so I went home and I told my wife what happened and she says, what are you gonna do now? And so I replied, he says, I'm going to mortgage our little home and go into the building business during the depression. Woo! Ladies, let's be honest. How many, time, how many of you would lay hands on your husband when he came back with that response? In a very non-Christian profound way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? But that's what he felt God was doing. Uh, leading. But listen to this, okay? He said, my ver first venture was the construction of two small buildings. Within five years, during the Depression, I was a multimillionaire. Listen to what he says, though. Today, if I could locate that man who fired me, I would sincerely thank him for what he did. At the time, here's the point. Here's the truth for us. At the time it happened, I didn't understand why I was fired. Later though, and that's usually when we get it, isn't it? But we need to acknowledge this truth during our trials, not after when we finally get the answer. You need to, by faith, stand on God's word saying, no, I don't see it now, but I know there's a good reason for this. He says, later though, I saw it was God's unerring and wondrous plan to get me into the way of his choosing. Got this phrase in my notes. Uh, God is trying to get us to see with our trials that trouble is only opportunity in work clothes. And that every pearl begins as a pain in the oyster's stomach. Right? Okay. Sometimes God's going to allow difficulties, folks, to get us steered into a brand new direction. The problem is when we resist God's leading, we're not only missing out on some grand opportunities, but we are headed down a destructive road. Because again, what in essence are we saying? We're saying that we know better than God. Our plan is better than God. Excuse me? No. God's ways are the best. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, so we should expect that. Now, flip it around with that story, okay, and then we'll close with an analogy. 
what if Wallace, and, and it could have happened, because you got a choice to make, right? What if Wallace Johnson had insisted on getting his job back at the sawmill? He can't do that. I'm going to hire a lawyer. This is wrong. I'm going to appeal to his family. I'm going to, I'm going to smear him in the public eye, in the newspaper. I'm going to the channel, whatever radio news they had back in those days. Uh, I'm going to the radio station. I'm going to get this guy. He can't do it. I got to get my job back. What if he reacted that way? Instead of just submitting to it, going, okay, God's getting us into a new direction. Interesting. Okay. Because he could have done that. He didn't understand the time, but listen, he was so stinking thankful that that guy fired him. That I, I, I wish, I, oh, 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 I wish I could find that guy. I want to shake his hand. Now listen to this. By faith, Christian, when we go through trials, by faith, we have to extend the hand shake to our trial. And faith and trust in God's word. Thank you. Thank you for this trial. Thank you. Because I don't see it now. But I'm shaking you, my hand with you, Mr. Trial, in faith. There's something fantastic coming out of this. That's what he had said. God is good. Everything he does is good. Like this Christian friend, I will close with this. A Christian cries out to God in a tizzy and says, God, can I ask you something? And God says, sure. And the Christian says, why did you let so much stuff happen to me today? And God says, well, what do you mean? And the Christian says, well, I woke up late and, and my car took forever to start. And at lunch, they made my sandwich wrong and I had to wait again. And on the way home, my phone went dead all of a sudden, just as I picked up a call. And then to top it all off, when I got home, I just wanted to soak my feet in my foot uh, massager and relax, but it wouldn't even work. Nothing went right today, God. Why'd you do that? And so God says, well, let me see. Uh, the death angel was at your bed this morning and I had to send uh, one of the other angels to battle him for your life. And so I let you sleep through that. And the Christian said, oh. And God says, well, I, I didn't let your car start because there was a drunk driver on your route that might have hit you if you were on the road. And the Christian starts to get a little ashamed. And God says, and, and the first person who made your sandwich today was sick and I didn't want you to catch what they had because I knew you couldn't afford to miss work. And the Christian says, oh, okay. And then God says, and your phone went dead because the person that was calling uh, was going to give a false witness about what you said on that phone call and I didn't even let you talk to him so you'd be covered. So, oh, I see God. And God says, oh, and that foot massager, it had a short in it that was going to throw out all the power in your house tonight. I, I didn't think you wanted to be in the dark. And the Christian said, oh, I'm sorry, God. And God says, don't be sorry. Just learn to trust me in all things, the good and the bad. And don't doubt that my plan for your day is always better than your plan. And Christian said, I won't, God. And, and just let me tell you, thank you, God, for everything today. And God says, you're welcome, my child. It's just another day being your God and looking after my kids. Wow. Hey, folks, we may not like it. We may not want to admit it. But sometimes our challenges are for our good. In fact, can I tell you, they're always for our good. The scripture would say. Sometimes God is going to listen, allow some difficulties to steer us into a brand new direction. Listen, not only to protect us from possible harm, but sometimes it's also to get us to be in a position to produce much more fruit for him, which is all that we're praying for. Amen? And this is what James is saying. This is why we're taking a little detour of all these reasons why God is allowing difficulties. Because it is true. It, James did not, nor Paul, I'm firmly convinced, they did not get hit in the head by a drive-by chariot accident. And the wheel got them good, and they're not thinking clear for two days because it's a concussion factor when they wrote this down. Oops, you got to give them credit. No, okay, they knew what we have long forgotten. That listen, we really can, Christian, not just have joy, but the scripture says we can constantly rejoice in all of our trials every last one of them because God is doing something good. And when we consider that, he's got many trials for us and he's got many reasons, good reasons for the trials. When we think forward to that and know experientially beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's gonna be one of these, woo! Then you can have that constant joy even amidst your pain. And listen, what is the context here? So that when, not if, when we get out there in the world and listen, 
The world suffers just like you and I. But when you and I, Christian, are out there suffering just like the rest of them in this wicked world, we're not in heaven yet. It's going to happen. And when we can do that with joy, true joy, what a witness that is. Praise God, Bobby. Reverse rapture, you're back. Uh, how was it? Uh, too bad you had to come back and join us. But uh, anyway, but we're good to have you. But no, what a witness, right? And I think that's part of the reason why he puts out this first acid test. I'm firmly convinced, Christian, one thing that we will always have in common with Christian, non-Christian, this side of heaven, is we're all going to go through difficulties. And in our difficulties, God wants us to submit to his will, uh, uh, be empowered by his spirit, to be those fantastic witnesses for Jesus. Because our world is looking for peace. Our world is looking for true joy. The world says it always comes with cash and it never lasts. But when we can show them that it is true, it is internal, it is something that's a free gift from Jesus Christ. And they see it not just by what we say, they see it by how we live in the midst of our pain and maybe if we start living like that many more souls can be one for christ amen let's pray well hi this is pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and i hope you enjoyed today's study but before you go let me ask you one final question are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell before you answer that let me share a couple things with you did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows he knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full 
the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com, or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.